Luke 12, 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The word of the Lord. So every week we read a passage. And then one of the first things I try to do is um, to point out something in that passage that's uh, challenging or offensive or problematic or confusing and just put a flag on it and say, hey, we need to talk about this. And usually there's like one big thing that we need to talk about. This week there's two. Two huge things in this passage that are incredibly challenging for us. And like the first one that's the most obvious one is that in this passage, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're my follower, then one of your main priorities in life should be persuading other people to follow me. In other words, evangelism, which is a dirty word, especially in our culture, because we say, look, live and let live. Uh, you know, you should, you should never bring your private spiritual beliefs into public and, and tell other people about those things. That's intolerant. Um, and, and so Jesus is actually saying this, yeah, if you're my follower, that's actually one of the main things you should be doing. Oh, and by the way, it could be incredibly risky for you. Now, if that was all this passage was about, we would already have our hands full. But there's another um, equally challenging but less obvious thing that's going on in this passage that we also have to talk about. And I would frame it like this. One of our main goals or desires as modern Western people is the desire to, as we say, be our authentic selves, to be your real true self, to, to be the, the true self that you were created to be, to, to live your truth, to speak your truth. In our culture, that's not offensive, but it is equally risky 
Because one of our deepest desires is to be real and true and honest about who we really are and the depths of our being. But we're also desperately afraid that if anybody really knew who we are, they would reject us. They would push us away. They wouldn't like us. Now, human beings have always struggled with this, but I would say that it's really reached epic proportions recently, especially with the advent of things like social media, you know, the curated self. We, we only put out there what we want people to see, not, not really disclosing the things that are really going on inside of our lives, the messiness, the brokenness, the woundedness of our lives. But what if... What if there was a life available to you that was so free of fear about what other people think that, that you could actually be the true, real, authentic self that you were created to be? Because here's what we have. On the one hand, there's this call to evangelism and all the risk of danger that goes along with it. On the other hand, there's this desire we have to be our real, true, authentic selves and, and all of the fear that goes along with that. On the surface, those two things appear to have nothing to do with each other. Jesus, in typically brilliant yet inexplicable fashion, is saying they have everything to do with each other. How? Why? We're in a series on following Jesus. What does that mean? What does it look like? In this passage, Jesus is saying there is a life available to you that is so free of fear that you are able to be the true, real, authentic self that you were created to be. How? Jesus shows us in three steps. First, he calls us to pay attention to ourselves. Secondly, he says, learn a new kind of fear. And lastly, let it go public. Okay? So pay attention to yourselves. Learn a new kind of fear and let it go public, all right? First, he says, pay attention to yourselves. Um, at the very beginning, in verse 1, the gospel writer Luke, he sets the scene here um, in verse 1 by saying, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, uh, Jesus began to say to his disciples. Now, this is the gospel writer's Luke it, this is his way of signaling to us that there's actually a connection between what's going on with the crowd and what Jesus is about to say to his disciples. Because notice, Luke does not just say there was a crowd there. He says, so many thousands of people that they were trampling one another. Now, really, this is the ancient world equivalent of Jesus going viral, this is like Jesus breaking the internet. Jesus is getting thousands of likes here. And, and, and so Jesus is connecting this popularity. It's in the brouhaha of all this crushing popularity of the crowd that Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, beware of hypocrisy. In Jesus's mind, there's a connection between the popularity, between the acclaim of the crowds and the danger of hypocrisy. Now that word hypocrisy uh, in, in Greek, in the original language, it's a word that was originally used of actors in the playhouse. In the ancient world, in ancient Greece, um, if you were an actor, the way you played your role was you, you had a mask that you would wear. And if it was a sad role, you had a, a, a mask that looked sad. Or if it was a happy role, then it was a happy mask. And you can see how we get our word hypocrite from that concept, because a, a hypocrite is somebody who's one way in private, but another way in public. 
In fact, um, we normally associate the word hypocrisy with its most wicked and extreme forms. So in the passage right before this, Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for their religious hypocrisy. They were using religion as a way of oppressing people and advancing their own interests for things like wealth or status or prestige. And you know, religious people have always done this. Um, especially today, uh, religious hypocrisy is one of the main reasons that many people are leaving the church and never coming back or never setting foot inside of a church in the first place. They see the hypocrisy. It's no wonder that people are turned off. But Jesus is certainly talking about that, but he's also pressing us deeper here Because notice that he says, beware. In our translation, it's just one word, beware. But in the original language, it's actually a phrase. Jesus literally is saying, pay very close attention to yourselves. He's saying, pay attention to what's going on inside of yourselves. Pay attention to your heart. Does it match what you're presenting to the world around you? Beware the mask. Because we all want what we want, right? I mean, we all want things like, Maybe it's approval. Maybe we want power and control. Maybe we want uh, comfort or security. We want certain things deeply, and we all have a tendency to wear a mask in order to get those things. What do I have to do? Who do I have to be? What do I have to say? How do I have to present to the world, the curated self, in order to get what I really want. Jesus is saying, beware the mask. In fact, in other words, you know, the reality Jesus is giving us here is that, yes, hypocrisy can take a form of oppression or dominating other people, the most extreme wicked form, but hypocrisy can also come from places of woundedness or insecurity or anxiety or fear, which means all of us. In fact, there are really two big dangers that Jesus is flagging for us here. First, it's just the danger of hypocrisy itself, that we would wear a mask in order to get what we really want in life. But the second danger, and really the the deeper, bigger danger, is that we're not even aware that we're doing it. So if you look at what Jesus goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, he says, "...nothing is covered up that will not be revealed." or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed or shouted on the housetops. In other words, truth will always out. Whatever you are, whoever you are in the innermost depths of your being, it's always going to be ultimately revealed one day for the whole world to see. Because think about it. It's so easy to see hypocrisy in other people, isn't it? I mean, you could see it a mile away. Jesus is saying, turn the lens toward yourself. Turn the focus back toward yourself. Pay very close attention to yourself. And and here's actually one of the biggest things we need to understand about what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus says, pay very close attention to yourselves, understand there is a form of paying attention to yourself or focusing on yourself that really is, I mean, it's self-absorption. And we all know people like that, people who are so self-absorbed, so self-centered that they're actually not aware of just how self-absorbed they really are. When Jesus says, pay very close attention to yourselves, he's actually pushing us away from self-absorption and toward self-awareness. What is self-awareness? 
Self-awareness is when you're actually beginning to become aware of just how self-centered and self-absorbed you really are. Self-awareness is when you're becoming aware of, of how your personality impacts other people's. In real time, you're becoming aware of how other people experience you. So you can ask yourself, you know, some diagnostic questions to grow in self-awareness. Things like, um, am I aware of what my deepest motives are? Or am I aware of how those motives animate the way I interact with other people? Am I aware of how my motives um, animate what I say, what I do, what I don't do, what I won't do, how I interact with other people? Am I aware of how other people are experiencing me in real time? Am I aware that I have a tendency to talk too much or to talk only about myself? Or am I aware that I may have a tendency never to disclose anything about myself out of a desire for self-protection? You see, there are all kinds of diagnostic questions you can ask yourself, but we all want what we want. And we all wear a mask in order to get what we want. And a lot of times we're not aware that we're even doing it. Jesus is pushing us here to grow in self-awareness of the masks we wear. To grow in, in self-awareness is a first step towards authenticity and healthiness in our lives and in our relationships with the people in the world around us. And that leads to our second point. First thing Jesus says is, hey, pay attention to yourselves. Secondly, however, he wants us to learn a new kind of fear. Because you notice our passage is laid out in three paragraphs. Um, in the second paragraph, Jesus, he kind of takes a dark turn. You notice in verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do to you. You know, one of the main things Jesus was always teaching his disciples was that following me is going to cost you. It might cost your reputation. It might cost your job, your home. It might even cost you your life. Now, that's not a reality for us really here in America, but it's very much a reality for Christians in other parts of the world. Following Jesus can be costly, but one of the main reasons Jesus brings this up is because he wants to make a contrast between two things. He says, look, don't fear people who can only kill you, but then notice, um, instead of that, he says in verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I'm guessing that when we were reading that passage, you know, some of us, at least some of us, were maybe cringing a little bit inside because this is another one of those big reasons that many people want to have nothing to do with religion. It's this idea of this angry God that's always threatening people with, with punishing them by sending them to hell for disobedience. And, you know, um, that's a real problem. We have to be aware of that. Now, this is not not a sermon on hell. We actually did a sermon on that back in March of 2018. So you could go on our website and listen to that if you want to. But, but here's what is going on. Um, even here, if you look at the whole passage... And if you think deeply about what Jesus is showing us here, he's actually pushing us and pressing us and helping us to come to a deeper understanding of the nature of ultimate reality. So for instance, right off the bat, in talking like that, Jesus is um, alerting us to the reality that, that there exists something, um, that the soul has an existence. 
and that there is a world beyond this world? You know, that's huge in our culture right now. Interest in spirituality is off the charts. So for instance, I was um, getting my haircut recently, and uh, I think it was at Great Clips. And you know how a lot of these haircut places, they'll keep a profile on you, including your birthday? And as I sat down in the chair, the lady that was cutting my hair, she said, oh, you're a Gemini. And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) She got really excited and started going on and on about astrology. I mean, it's a huge phenomenon in our culture right now. I read a recent Pew report that said 29% of Americans believe in astrology. That's like almost a third of our country. And to put that in perspective, only 22% of Americans identify as mainline Protestants. Friends, you know, spiritual hunger, there is a tremendous spiritual hunger in our country right now. And Jesus is affirming that and saying, yes, that's right. There is more to this world than just the physical. But even more than that, friends, in this passage, Jesus is actually um, radically undermining the traditional stereotype of an angry, punishing God. He's undermining that stereotype because notice he begins this paragraph by saying, fear God, but then he ends the paragraph by saying, fear not. So what's going on? I mean, is Jesus just confused? Like he's saying, be afraid. Wait, no, don't be afraid. How can Jesus say, fear him in one sentence and then turn right around and say, don't fear immediately after that when he's talking about the same God? The answer is Jesus is contrasting two different kinds of fear. The first fear is what, you know, it's normal fear, or what we could think of as fearful fear. Fearful fear. You remember we mentioned just a moment ago that um, at the beginning of this paragraph, Jesus takes kind of a dark turn. Um, in fact, it actually looks like he's changing the subject. Um, in the first paragraph, Jesus was saying, pay attention to your innermost self. Pay attention to your innermost being. But then in this paragraph, he's saying, don't fear people who can kill your body. It sounds like he's changing the subject. He's not. Jesus is actually giving us a case study of what it means to grow in self-awareness. Why do we put on masks? Why are we so into image management? The curated self, the fabricated self. Why are we afraid of, of being honest and vulnerable and real about what's really going on inside of us. For instance, I, was, um, I read a couple of really interesting articles recently about um, the rise over the last few years of um, college Facebook meme groups. Those are Facebook groups uh, where students will post memes about their experiences on campus, their daily lives and their experiences. And the author of one of the articles wanted to know why have these groups just exploded in popularity over the last few years? Um, And so she reached out to admins of some of the various groups, and she didn't really expect to get a uniform answer, but she was totally shocked to find out that almost every single response she got mentioned the same thing. So one of the admins put it like this. He said, my friends and I always say that memes come from a place of stress and anxiety. Another admin said, the posts that do the best are the ones coming from a place of sadness and stress, which is so poignant because you realize so many of these campuses are are places where suicide rates and mental health-related issues have just skyrocketed over the past few years. 
But why memes? Why are memes the way people are expressing the anxiety and the sadness and the stress in their lives? One of the articles pointed it out perfectly, and I think he's absolutely right. Memes, if you think about it, in the first place, they're kind of funny, which is already putting some distance between you and the problem. In the second place, um, even though students are using their real names, which is tremendously courageous, instead of a pseudonym or, or, or some kind of anonymous identity, they're using their real names, but think about it, a meme is a picture of a character or someone else, which is creating even more distance between you and what's going on. So what's, ha- what's happening is memes are actually a very effective way of talking about things that stress you out without risking too much. In other words, memes help us talk about anxiety without taking off the mask, or at least taking it off completely. They're a way of being real, but not completely real. But it's not just social media, is it? I mean, at work, do you ever feel the need or the compulsion to, to act like you know, every, you're competent, you're confident, you're self-assured, you've got everything in control, never let them see you sweat? Or, you know, with other parents, maybe on the playground or the soccer field, acting like, you know, I don't know, Jenny and I aren't parents, but I'm just asking the question, do parents ever judge other parents? (laughs) Of course they do, because human beings judge other human beings. Or even at church, I mean, especially at church, do you ever feel like you got to come to church and pretend like you have it all together, when in reality your life is a total mess? Of course, what, what is that? We're afraid. What will people think of me? What if people reject me? What if being honest and real and vulnerable, vulnerable about who and what I really am and what's really going on in my life, what if it affects my future prospects? What if it affects my job security? What if it, what if it affects my family's status in the neighborhood? Jesus is saying, that's a fearful fear. You're focusing on external things that will never last. I want you to focus on internal things that last forever. I want you to learn how to get a different kind of fear. What is that? Not a fearful fear, a fearless fear. A fearless fear. Because here's the reality. Our darkest fears are always tied to our deepest desires. Whatever we fear the most is always tied to what we desire the most. Which means that when Jesus talks about fear, it's really just another way of talking about worship. So for instance, you might enjoy approval of other people, which means you might enjoy getting likes on Instagram, but if you worship approval, you don't just enjoy likes, you fear likes, or rather the lack of likes. You see, we all want what we want. We all desire things deeply, and and whatever we fear the most... Is it's always pointing us to what we desire the most. Our darkest fears are always pointing to our deepest desires. That, that whatever we fear the most is what we desire the most. And we're always talking about what we worship. Jesus was saying, pay attention to what's going on inside of yourself. And then he's saying, pay attention to what you fear the most. Pay attention to what you desire the most. Pay attention to what you're actually worshiping in life. Because Jesus is saying, look, if you love something that can, that can fail you or let you down, and that's basically everything in the world, then you're always going to be living in fear. But he's saying, 
Consider the, the reality that God loves the sparrows that are sold in the marketplace for pennies, that God loves you even more than those sparrows. Consider that God has numbered the very heads, hairs of your head. If you have a love like that in your life, if you have a God like that in your life, how can you live in fear when you realize that this is a God who is head over heels in love with you? Now that leads to our last point because you understand what we're talking about here. It's a new kind of fear, not a fearful fear, a fearless fear, a jaw-dropping, soul-defining, soul-staggering reverence and awe and wonder at, that the God who created everything in the universe from the nebulae in the heavens to the microbes in the dirt, that that God pays attention to you that he cares about you, that he loves you, that he's devoted to you. If you had a love like that in your life, you wouldn't have to live in fear. But that leads to our last point. We've talked about Jesus telling us to pay attention to yourselves, pay attention to the innermost drives and desires of your heart. He's telling us, learn a new kind of fear, not a fearful fear, but a fearless fear. And, but lastly, he's telling us, let it go public. And here's what this means. You know, it's only now that we've gone through all of this that we're actually in a position to understand what Jesus is telling us in verses eight through nine. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before others, the son of man, that's Jesus, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Now here we're right back to that, you know, um, really repulsive kind of view of religion that we were talking about earlier because it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you obey me, if you go out and tell people about me, then God will love you and accept you. That is the classic, traditional, religious approach to life. If you obey God, he will accept you. If you disobey God, he will reject you. A lot of people think that's Christianity, um, and a lot of people, therefore, reject Christianity. But you know what? If that's what Christianity was really all about, I would reject it too. But it's really only when we understand everything that Jesus has said here and listen to the whole passage um, that we're in a position to understand what Jesus is really saying here. When we look at the whole passage and remember everything Jesus has said, we get a radically different picture. Because remember what we've seen so far first. Your innermost being, um, who you are in the innermost depths of your being, is always going to find expression one way or another in the outermost forms of your life. And secondly, Jesus is saying, your innermost being is always centered around something that you love more than anything else. Your, your deepest love, your deepest worship, your deepest fear is always tied to, to, to something that you love and desire more than anything else. And it's always going to find expression in your outermost life. You put those two realities together and what do you have? Your, your private love always manifests itself in your public life. Whatever you love the most, worship the most, fear the most, whatever, whatever the innermost depths of your heart are centered on is always going to find expression in the outermost forms of your life. Your private love always manifests itself in your public life. So when Jesus says, acknowledge me before others, understand he is not saying that, that you got to do that in order to get God's love. He's not saying, do this so that God will love you. That's religion. Jesus is saying that when you do this, it's actually a way of expressing a love that you've already received. That's the gospel. 
you know, and that actually helps us understand what Jesus says in the very next verse that has actually perplexed people for centuries. You notice in verse 10, Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is Jesus talking about here? We could actually do a whole sermon about this, but let me just summarize. Jesus is saying, yeah, you could speak a word against me out of ignorance or momentary cowardice, but, but then there's something called blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that's actually a way of, of hardening your heart against the work of the Holy Spirit. It's actually a, a, an ongoing resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you grow in self-awareness. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you understand yourself more accurately, to help you see the truth about who and what you really are, to help you understand the masks you wear. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you understand your faults and your failures, and, and actually to help you understand and see and acknowledge the, the, all of the seeds of evil in your life. And I realized that we all just got offended. Evil? How dare you? I know I'm not perfect, but evil? I, I'm so offended. Then you're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or we could say it like this. What Jesus is saying here is the only sin that can't be forgiven is refusing to admit that you need to be forgiven. Which makes sense when you think about it. The only sin that can't be forgiven is not is refusing to admit that you even have any sin that needs to be forgiven. I mean, the work of the Holy Spirit is to help you see yourself as you really are, to see your real, true, authentic self. And that means that we're circling back to something that Jesus was showing us a few weeks ago, but he keeps circling back to you because it's one of his uh, most primary, constant messages. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you see yourself as you really are. We want to, to be our real, true, authentic selves. It's one of the most dominating um, themes and values in our culture, this desire to be your authentic self. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I really want to be my authentic self. But the way we say it in our culture is like this. To, to be your authentic self means you have to look inside yourself. You have to listen to your heart. You have to listen to, especially listen to your feelings. And then whatever you find there, you have to affirm that and then express that to the world around you. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you see yourself as you really are. But, but we say, no, no, the, the, who I really am is I'm going to look inside, and whatever I find, I'm going to affirm. So that's why we say things like, you got to speak your truth. That's what we mean. Or our culture's favorite motto, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you. The only thing that matters is what you think of yourself. That's why we say things like this, is because we feel like we need to look inside, and whatever we find, we're going to affirm that to the world around us in order to be our real, authentic self. We, um, Jesus is saying there is such a thing as your authentic self. Jesus is not denying the culture here, but he is reshaping what we say. He's saying there really is such a thing as your authentic self, and I want you to be that self, but you have to understand that this is not a self that you create or you define. It's a self that God creates and God defines. And the only way you become that self is by listening to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying? To listen to the Holy Spirit means that you have to stop speaking your truth and start speaking God's truth. 
Because God sees inside of you a whole lot better than you see inside of yourself. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is two things. First, to show you the reality about who and what you really are. To show you that you have a deep, desperate need for forgiveness, for redemption, for spiritual renewal. And secondly, the the Holy Spirit's work is to shine a spotlight on God's provision of that need in Jesus Christ. Because here's the big question. If our innermost beings um, are always going to find expression in our outer life, and if our innermost beings are always centered around something that we love more than anything else in the world, and that innermost love is always going to find expression in our outermost life, then the big question is, how does that love actually come into our life? How does that love, the love that can free us from fear, actually come into our life? Listen to the Holy Spirit whispering to you. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Notice in the passage, when he says, acknowledge me before others, Jesus did not say, acknowledge my teachings before others. He did not say, acknowledge my lofty moral vision before others. Jesus did not say, acknowledge my ethical code before others. Not that those things aren't important, but that's not what he's driving at here. He says, acknowledge me, me. Jesus is not saying, the gospel is not saying, live a good life and God will love you. The gospel is, Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf in order that God could love you. And, And the way that he loved you was not only by living a perfect life, but by dying a sacrificial death. Because when they nailed Jesus to the cross, you understand something, it wasn't just his body that they killed. What is hell, really, ultimately? Hell is cosmic separation from God. Hell is utter, total, infinite separation from God. That is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was denied, not just by human beings, he was denied by the Father. But the reason that Jesus was denied was so that we could be acknowledged He was shut out so that we could be welcomed in, so that you could experience the love of God, so that you could be freed from all of your fear, so that we could actually take our culture's favorite motto, and and now we can bring it in line with the truth of the gospel and say, well, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you, and that's true, but it especially does not matter what you think of you. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of you. And if you want to know what God thinks of you, look at Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for you, loving you, freeing you from fear. Friends, the the work of the Holy Spirit is to make that love real to you. And one of the ways you know it's happening is you begin to feel a burden for all of the other people in the world to feel and experience the reality of that love as well. Have you gone public with Jesus? Have you taken him into your life and and you feel a desire to make that love known to the world? Listen to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in your heart is is to make you aware of the reality of who and what you really are. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you learn a new kind of fear, not a fearful fear, but a fearless fear that knows you are loved and valued beyond anything else in all creation. And lastly, the work of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make that love so real to you that you can't wait to go out and make that love real to everyone else. Your private love always manifests itself in your public life. 
And whatever you love the most will always come out of you the most. Is Jesus, do you feel a burden to make that love real to others? Have you experienced that love for yourself? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Respond to the work of the Spirit in your life and embrace that love more and more that you may be a change agent of that love in the world around you. Let's pray. Father, we want to listen to you. We need to listen to you. But if we're being honest, a lot of times we don't want to listen to you. We pray this morning that you will help us to hear your voice, Holy Spirit, showing us our deep, desperate need for God. Father, we confess as Christians, we oftentimes are the ones that are worst at acknowledging this reality. We feel oftentimes that, um, that once we've crossed that threshold of faith, um, that we're good to go and that we don't need to keep listening to the Holy Spirit. Father, we need more to listen to the Holy Spirit. Help us to do that. And for those of us here this morning who are investigating faith in Jesus, I pray that you would help us to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit as well, showing us the reality of who and what we really are. I pray most of all that you would help us to see the work of the Spirit shining a spotlight on the saving love of Jesus for us on the cross, that we would be freed from fear and made bold witnesses for that love to the world around us. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.